Welcome to the Humanity First podcast, Bamsey's look at what's happening inside the organization and the social justice and human rights issues affecting our community. I am Chris Ryan, along with Peter Evers. Peter, great to see you as always. You too, Chris. How are you doing? Great, and a lot to talk about uh, today. We're joined by Senator Brady, who uh, represents uh, the area around Brockton and Brockton itself at the state legislature in just a little bit about uh, some of the key issues surrounding getting essential workers the pay that they deserve. And we'll talk about that with him and kind of continuing the conversation from last week that we had with Representative Dubois uh, here on the show. But before we get to that, we have seen, you know, a lot of changes as a result of this COVID-19 environment. And um, we have seen stress put on individuals and families and grand families like never before. And we wondered what was going to be the effect on them. How was um, you know alcohol usage going to increase? Was drug usage going to increase? Was there going to be more uh, individuals looking for counseling? And you know, I'm curious from, from your perspective as you look at the data and also um, from both outside and inside the organization, what you're seeing in that realm. Yeah, it's, a, it's probably a great point in time to look back and look forward. Um, oftentimes you think about a crisis and a crisis is short-lived. You know that you're going to have to batten down the hatches for a while and then it'll end. And what's, what's interesting is somebody said to me the other day, oh man, I can't wait until 2020 ends. And I said, there isn't a magic end to right. this whole thing at the end of this year. Yes, we've had um, an, a number of awful things happen. There's no doubt about it. And actually, if you just cast your mind back to the fires in Australia, that seems like it was in a different era. But actually, that was in 2020. So a lot of bad things have happened this year. We've had our life uh, turned upside down. We've gone into lockdown. Uh, we've, we're all wearing masks. We've had the politicization of this COVID so that we oftentimes families are pitted against each other. When we went into lockdown, there were a couple of things that people said we had to look out for. Watch out for alcohol consumption, they said. Now, we know that the bars all locked down at that time, and there was a 40% increase uh, in sales of alcohol um, in the liquor stores and um, and supermarkets. Um I think we're at a stage now where we're out of crisis mode. We're, you know, we're out of that, that. It'll be over. It'll be over. We're readjusting to a lot of different things. And I think we've seen that uptick in alcohol as a coping mechanism. Uh, people may, may be aware of this because there are a lot of public health um, commercials on the television now just saying, listen, if you think it's okay to have a couple more extra a night, don't get into the habit of doing that because that is your so- your self-soothing mechanism. And there's a lot to be upset about. There's, a, you know, children not going back to school, children going back to school, worrying about children when they're back at school, people who have lost their jobs. Um, you know, the number of companies that are going out of business and closing for good is reflected in the higher unemployment rates. And, of course, Wall Street at the moment is really struggling. We're in a very dark period of time. And I think the message that I would have to people is make sure you take care of yourself. You know, by increasing drug and alcohol use, you're not helping your long-term health uh, outcomes. And if it goes on and on, and we've been in this situation now for seven months, if it goes on and on, there can be habituation to alcohol, and people should really be aware of that. And that whenever they can, if they're worried about that, then reach out and talk to a counselor, get help, talk to a fam- family member, because there is lots of help out there. But it is the natural thing to do to say, look, I've had a really stressful week. 
month, six months, I'm going to reward myself with more of an alcoholic drink than I did before. Let's just think about that and just keep that in mind that that actually is is contributing to poor health outcomes. Yeah, I you know think it's such a challenge for individuals to uh, try to adjust to what basically is a new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, generally, you know, when you're in a, a crisis situation, um, there is you know, hopefully a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we're not sure if we're closer to the beginning or the middle or the end. And as you referenced, I mean, most individuals are in a place right now where they've kind of moved beyond the um, initial aspects of COVID, the lockdown, and have kind of moved back into society. But it's not exactly the same as it was before. But there's also this fear of, you know, when are we going back into lockdown? Are we going mm-hmm. back into lockdown? Are the economic circumstances going to get worse? And... Um, for many, many years, I don't think uh, a lot of people worried about these types of things. I think that, um, you know, we took a lot for granted and our everyday lives very much we took for granted. You know, the kids go to school, you go to work. Um, if you want to go to a concert, you go to a concert. If you want to travel, you get to take a couple trips a year if you're fortunate, maybe one big trip a year as a family. Now there's no travel. There's work in a new way. There's school in a new way. And you know, a lot of the things that people did before in order to um, relieve stress are gone. And, you know, even there are any people going to the gym. um, And now you don't go to the gym. We're going back into winter months. People were biking and kayaking and running and doing all that. Um, I mean, it's you don't want to make too big of a deal out of it because obviously there are um, a lot of challenges in life. And, um, but the fact of the matter is that this is a big deal. When you have this type of a, an interruption, it is, um, you know, something that I think a lot of people just haven't really addressed either. You know, it's, it's just trying to, to, to get through it and, um, to cope with the situation. But there's not been a lot of reflection about how life has changed and, you know, when you think about not just the way that your life has changed, but, you know, the way your neighbors, your friends, your spouse, your kids, your parents, and it can kind of get overwhelming. And people just don't have, you know, the outlets that they had prior to this. And as a result of that, um, you can very easily see how people can get into uh, habits um, with alcohol or with uh, with drugs because, a lot of the other mechanisms are not available as they were before. That's right. You know, the other interesting thing about this is, you know, because at the beginning of this, I read a lot of things that said, you know, your parents and your parents' parents, you know, went to war and they fought. And that is absolutely true. And that was a very different time. But Or you don't have cancer. You don't. Yeah. You should be grateful for the situation. Right. You ha- at least you have a house. Right. right. Yeah. And so we've been told, oh, it's not that bad. Right. You know, the, I was thinking about this the other day when we were at war and certainly in the Second World War, not that any of us remember this, but but I do from my parents have this real sense of cohesiveness in the nation that we knew what, that we were fighting about a com- against a common enemy and not, the our enemy was fascism. And you could get behind that. So there was everybody was sort of looking in the right direction. The, 
the situation we're in now is absolutely the opposite of that. It has been become politicized. You can meet somebody in the street who says this is a hoax, or you can meet somebody um, like one of my family members who has totally locked themselves down because they're really worried about giving his parents um, uh, coronavirus in their work. So different opinions, different ways that this has been manipulated, and we have lost something. And different people to blame. Yes. I mean, in the past, there's been a unification in um, a common enemy during these uh, circumstances. In 9-11, it was Osama bin Laden. It yeah. was al-Qaeda. We were going to do everything we could in order to to get them. We, Many of people in my generation wanted to sign up and serve in the army and go overseas and get you know those that, uh, that did this to us. And that's generally... You know the um, you know the circumstance. Even when there's economic downturns, there's the common enemy. There's you know the the rich folks. There's Wall Street. In this, we have kind of turned on each other, and um, you know it's it's the you know Chinese Communist Party. It's the Trump supporters' faults for not wearing masks. It's the Democrats for creating too much hysteria and um, putting people out of business when. This is you know, not something in which there needs to be um, as much uh, focus as there is. And, you know, the, as usually the case, um, the truth is somewhere in the middle. But people can't find the middle anymore. And, <laughs> That's uh, such a good <laughs> They good can't. Experience. And there's, there's no, there's no uh, mechanism for individuals to say, you know, why don't we just take a step back and, yeah, you don't have to wear a mask all the time, but you should wear a mask when you go inside. I mean, it, it, there's there's no common ground. No. And that middle ground has been eroding, I would say, really for the last 10, 15 years. And we're in a pretty bad situation with that, I think. You know, the other thing, Chris, that I think about a lot is that um, when we look at trauma, um, a, any percentage of population will have a pathological reaction to trauma. You think about 9-11, there were many people who were deeply affected by that, weren't able to work, etc. The same is true with this COVID thing. And one of the things that they talk about in trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, is that you have shattered assumptions. So I assume that I'll be able to send my kids to school. I'll assume I'll be able to work. I'll assume I'll be able to go on vacation. All of those things have been shattered. You yes. can't do that. And when you think about it, and I know I felt like this, okay, I can do this because this is going to be for a while and then I'll get the vaccine and, you know, we'll get it under control and there'll be a therapeutic and every, everything will be fine. No, you know, our assumptions are still shattered. We don't know when the end of that. We're looking at places like Britain at the moment where they're going into full lockdown again. And the thought of that, I think, is just very concerning for, for people, um, not only about their jobs, but how they want to live their lives. You know, the pe American people are free people. And right. They just don't feel like that right now. Right. And the and they don't, I mean, there has been such a erosion in our institutions that people now don't just doubt um you know they they basically doubt tr what is true and what isn't and um they can't agree on what's what's true and what isn't and you know you are very right in talking about how people deal with this i mean i i think of um you know individuals that are towards the end of their life and um you know they think that they only have a couple years left um and they're like well Am I going to stay here and just, uh, you know, be cautious or am I going to go out and uh, and take risks? Am I going to 
to live. And it's a very, very you know, difficult decision for um, for folks to to make. And you know, in particular, you know, places that have not been hard hit by COVID. Um, mm-hmm. You may not know someone that has been. Uh, it's 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 a a lot of it is you know uh, very much a, a mental mm-hmm. uh, game mm-hmm. and. You know, one in which uh, you don't know what's what is correct to do in various uh, circumstances. There is no playbook for it. Um, there is no past experience or precedent, and you're you know you're trying to do the right thing, but you don't even really know what the uh, what the right thing is. And um, we had you know set the the vaccination as being kind of the end game, and you you don't know if that's exactly, you know, what you should do either, because what if the vaccination doesn't work? I mean, there, you, there's so many what ifs. And I think that as you referenced before, um, before we get to our guest, I think that the best thing that people can do is to focus on self-care and, you know, take the assumptions off the table. I mean, that's what I've done. I don't assume that anything's going to happen. I don't assume that we're going to go back to normal. I don't assume that the economy is going to be good. I don't assume the economy is going to be bad. All you can really do is focus on pairing back your life to what brings you simple enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And everything else is a bonus. Um, And if you don't do that, you find yourself in a situation worrying about things that you can't control. You can't control the vaccination. You can't control whether your kids go back to school. You can't control what's going to happen with your work environment. You can't control whether they're going to go back in lockdown. So the more you think about these external things, the more you um, send yourself into a rabbit hole. So break things down and talk about what you can control, what you can do, the ways you can impact your community, the ways you can help others, and kind of build up from, from there. Because if you start to worry about all the external things, that is where you get yourself into a place of helplessness. And when you get into helplessness, you get very close to hopelessness. And that is how, in my view, you head down that path of substance misuse. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you should say that, Chris, because really that is the, um, the mantra of the recovery movement, that you don't worry about the things you can't control, wrestle the control yourself. And I think it's really, I like the idea of, you know, we have these circles, these broad circles of people that you know, maybe out in the periphery, you see every now and again, all of that's been shrunk. But that gives us an opportunity to really concentrate on the on the relationships that matter to us, and allow ourselves to be forgiving of those people. Because we're all behaving badly, probably, we're probably short with our partners. Uh, we're probably quick to anger because we feel like we've been denied. Uh, we have to be forgiving of each other, and we have to be able to listen to each other. And I think the other thing is, what are the things? Look back on your life and think about the things that give you pleasure. And and you know, if people have, haven't played the guitar for six months, now's your time. For six years, now's your time to do that, or whatever that might be. Uh, it really is a question of reprogramming yourself in terms uh, in terms of enjoying. And I've spoken to a lot of people who say, you know what? I took up hiking again, and it's great. And there was only one thing I could do for vacation. That was go up to the White Mountains or wherever it would be. Well, that's a beautiful place to be. You know, exploit the natural beauty of of, of your local habitat uh, and just be more broad thinking about the things that bring you pleasure. I don't want to go overly negative, but the concern that I have for the upcoming months 
is that those external, yeah, those <laughs> external, if Peter is shivering, the, the external um, ways in which we have sought enjoyment for, um, you know, the last uh, five months, say, where it's been warmer, um, are going to be gone. And um, it's going to be cold. Uh, people are going to be inside. The daylight, which is a big issue for me, is the daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, waking up when it's dark and coming home when, when it's dark. I think that um, if we head into a place where we are once again having to hunker down, where COVID is increasing, you know, I'm really worried about the collective mental health and um, substance uh, uh misuse issues during that that time period and that is a time in which i think individuals going to have to be even more connected than before and you know i think that as we have um i'm you know zoom is still not perfect in my view but we know this from our meetings um but i think that um i've gotten used to it and it's better than nothing and it's good to talk to other people it's good to see them and I think that that's going to be even more important during the um, the winter months as we get into cold and flu season. And, you know, in some cases, we don't know if that's mirroring COVID. I think that having a plan and um, kind of, uh, I mean, I call it expecting the worst and mm-hmm. hoping for the best, um, which is a strategy that I use. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily the best mm-hmm. uh, strategy, but um, that way you got to always kind of come out on top where mm-hmm. I you know, if I tell myself that this is something that could definitely happen, I find myself prepared for it. Where in if it's totally a surprise, then there's that control factor where you feel like you're losing control. If I have prepared uh, for the worst um, and I get something better than that, I have an outcome that I feel like I am prepared for. So what do you tell people um, going into, you know, these winter months where I feel like November, December, mm-hmm. January are going to be very challenging for people and and beyond. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, you know, um, an example of that, of using technology, you raised Zoom, but, you know, every Saturday, and I'm going to be an eternal optimist here because that's my job, right? (laughs) But every Saturday, um, my family is all over the world. They're they're in L.A., they're in in Britain. uh, But at one o'clock every Saturday, we have a FaceTime meeting and we have anything between 15 and five people on that and we all connect and we all talk about what we've been doing and we all um, share recipes or we talk about sports uh, a lot of sport Uh, and we've created a network that was there already but COVID actually pushed us into closer proximity Mm -hmm. um, through through technology even though the miles are far apart I think you have to be intentional mm-hmm. about how you create connectivity. Uh, and I would, uh, I would encourage everybody to do that. You know, they do say surround yourself with the people who, who make you feel good um, and be intentional about it. And the good thing about that, Chris, is that you have people are going to have a lot of time on their hands to do that. And with that, those conversations come um, from whatever you're reading, whatever you're doing, whatever struggles you're having. You're collectively sharing that trauma, if you like, and that actually helps people in their spirit. I think that's a really good point about being intentional and making your plans, whether it's with family members, whether it's with your running group, um, whether it's with your book club, um, whether it's with folks from work that you enjoy uh, talking about cooking with. Um, 
my kids have greatly enjoyed the video game world and connecting with their friends that way. Mm -hmm. We've established connections there. So yeah, be intentional. Set times and find ways uh, in order to um, get through these challenging times with joy and excitement as opposed to you know, being concerned, worrying, and um, you know, really kvetching, if you will, about things that uh, you cannot control. So I'm going to hand it over to Peter, who's going to uh, introduce uh, our guest for this week's show. Hi, uh, Senator Brady. Thank you so much for joining us on the on the show today. Um, really good to talk to you. You may not remember this, uh, Senator, but when you were a rep, I was working for the state down in Brockton, and um, uh, and you were always so supportive to our stigma campaigns. And in fact, you wrote me a letter at the time uh, thanking um, the department for doing the work, and I still have that letter. So I just wanted to acknowledge that we that our paths have crossed in the in uh, in a few years ago, uh, and also to acknowledge the work that you've done for. Um, for the city of Brockton over the years and your constituents because uh, everybody that I speak to, you know, speaks very warmly of the support that you've given to people over the years and uh, and hopefully will do uh, into the future. So welcome to the show today. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. Yeah, well, we you know, we've started this um as you know, um Senator, we uh, um we've I've been with um with Bamsey for about six months now, and uh, it's been a little bit of a rocky start for me. Some people accuse me of bringing COVID to Bamsey, but I assure you I didn't. Um, but I did start within a week of uh, of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, we, we've just been talking about how it's pulled the curtain back on a lot of things in our communities. One is the disparity of the impact of the pandemic on certain populations, uh, you know, people in poverty, um, you know, people of color, um, and also those folks who have been essential workers. Um, somebody said to me the other day, you know, the remarkable thing is that these people, even though they had health concerns of their own, even though they were caring for elderly parents, they couldn't stay home. They couldn't um, do things remotely. They had to be at work. And at Bamsey, we have so many of those heroes who have done that, who, some who came and lived in for two-week periods in residentials so that it would minimize the spread of COVID and then went back to their families. Somebody told me the other day that somebody did the live-in and then went to live in a hotel, booked a hotel room because their family was so worried about them coming back into the home. That, to me, is true heroism. And, you know, I know that you've probably heard stories like that over the last six months. And I think one of the things that we're really interested in doing is making sure that we take that goodwill that we have really um, from the work that these folks have done. And we sort of push that forward into saying, what is a live, what's a proper living wage for these heroes? Because right now they're extremely underpaid. You're absolutely true. And, and we did have a bill that was filed in the state house and I was a co-sponsor of that to give the essential workers a little increase in their pay. Uh, I don't know if it passed yet. It's still in the committee. Um, but, um, you know, and it's, it, we, we talk about the essential workers and, of course, the police and firefighters, but also the food workers, the restaurant workers who had to go to work, or the supermarket workers. You know, they were on the front line, and this, this would affect everybody. Uh, and I think the bill got sent to a study but we're still looking at other things regarding that. Also, another thing before the pandemic hit, uh, we supported giving $15 an hour 
minimum wage to uh, to workers too and i was a big supporter of that because you know that's not having a living wage for the average person today and people don't understand that and you know you certainly don't want to hurt the businesses at the restaurant workers and the waitresses and waiters they don't get that initial pay but they may get tips or other things but still they are just barely surviving and there's so many families struggling 90% of the calls i get to my office have been unemployment issues for residents and you know, my office has been, a yeoman, been doing a yeoman's work handling that, and it's something simple as if they put the wrong number and they're kicked out of the system if they don't have the right information. And that's been 90% of my calls. And, and, you know, people are struggling even today. Uh, some businesses have opened up, but they're not open up fully like they were before. You know, restaurants aren't open, or they're only open certain hours outdoor seating they can't have the capacity that they used to have and of course we had to do that for safety reasons and we're going with the governor's guidance and, and his following his rules and so forth but there's so many families struggling out there just to get ahead um thank god we have some good people that have made some contributions donations i've got a restaurant from hanover this week uh, that has closed it, it, you know a combination the the owner was elderly and he had, uh, had health issues but the COVID affected him as well in his business, and he ended up, he wants to donate food to some shelters in Brockton, so we got a group picking some up next week and uh, donating to the Mainspring Shelter and to a church in Brockton, and it's too big for, like, a charity guild to, to be able to handle it because they do individual meals, but I'm talking about these are big, bulky items of food because it's restaurant size, and they're donating it, and it'll help out of these big uh, uh, events that feed the homeless people like the shelters and so forth so they can like we're talking big pieces of meat that are frozen and canned goods that isn't like single serving size these are more restaurant size you know so yeah it really does um it, again it builds the it sort of pulls the curtain back on on some of the inequities at bamsey we do the um the greater boston food bank uh, uh brown bag um, sort of donation every month and uh, you know about 1300 people benefit from that it does worry me though that you know that's once a month you know how are people managing uh, for the rest of the time and you know and I think that the same thing uh, applies to some of the people that work at Bamsey you know who are on uh, wages that are not sus sustainable for a family um, and I think I mean I, I'm sorry to bring it back to this senator but you know we really need to take this moment in time to file bills like the one that you that you sponsored around the supplemental income for folks what worries me is that when this passes and or, or we move into the next phase of whatever this COVID is that we're still thinking about this that we're still recognizing in real terms financial how we can um, how we can reward these people for doing this work that essentially when you think about it it wasn't the CEOs that kept this country running it was the people that were doing their essential work and that were putting themselves at risk and um, you know I'm I'd be really interested in having more conversations about how we can leverage this goodwill and make sure that the executive branch of government in the state recognizes that they need to you know put their money where their mouth is um, and, you know, I certainly look forward to having more conversations with you about that. Yeah, I definitely would like to, too, because you mentioned, I mean, we're still not out of the woods yet with this COVID crisis. And, and you know, Brockton was the second highest hit in the Commonwealth outside of Boston. And now uh, the, some of the cities and towns in the North Shore have been hit more like Lynn and those other cities. 
and we still have to stay on top of it. And it's unfortunate at the federal level, like our congressional delegation, I know we have Congressman Lynch in our district, and I also represent Hanover that has Congressman Keating and Congressman Kennedy and Easton, and they've been doing a yeoman's work, and our U.S. Senators Markey and Warren have done a yeoman's work. But the rest of the country, um, unfortunately, some of those southern states have been hit now, but they didn't take it as seriously, and they weren't willing to put up, you said, put your money as your mouth is, and it's unfortunate that what happened in the U.S. Senate you know, the Congress passed a $3 trillion package. It would have helped reimburse the Commonwealth so we can get the money back to the cities and towns that we represent. And they they put forth a proposal that wasn't even close to that. So hopefully they come back to the table to do something. And in our, in our local delegation, as I mentioned, I'm in constant contact with our local congressional delegation, Lynch, Keating, and Kennedy, and, and our two U.S. Senators, Markey and Warren. They've been great with us. They've been helping us out. But some of these uh, legislators in other parts of the country, and, and I hate to mention the person in the White House who, you know, obviously you can never believe different words comes out of his mouth different times. And, you know, he knew about the crisis and didn't want to tell the public the truth. And, you know, this is a very tough situation. And, again, there's so many families struggling. I know families that came in there for to get daycare if they got to go back to work and if the schools are not fully open. And, of course, Public safety is a priority. So if the schools aren't prepared or the numbers are too high, they're not safe to open up fully, and we understand that. So they have to do classrooms from home, but then some of these families struggle, and they can't afford to have a babysitter at daycare like the wealthier families can. And we've got so many families that are trying to make a decision on that. Do they go to work, and they who are they going to get to take care of the young children at home as well, you know? That is uh, State Senator Bra- uh, Brady joining us here on the Humanity First podcast. Uh, Bamsey's uh, look at what's going on inside the organization and also some of the important public policy issues surrounding Bamsey's work. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about two things that are taking place that seem to be operating in exclusive silos, but should, you know, perhaps be brought together. Um, you have an organization like BAMSI, which has um, a tremendous amount of openings uh, and are looking for I- in individuals to come and uh, work and make a career at BAMSI. And you also have significant issues with unemployment. So in my view, why, it's, it's kind of frustrating that the state does not look at this and say, well, how do we solve these two problems at once? We have individuals who are out of work. Um, and we also have uh, openings at the same time. And, you know, there's obviously been a lot of discussion in the past about job retraining and things of, of that nature, but I feel like there has to be a more robust um, solution. And whether it's offering um, incentives via um, you know, college programs, uh, tuition reimbursement, or just, you know, flat-out um, uh, weekly uh um, checks, uh, like we saw for individuals who were unemployed. So there was a $600 a month bonus uh, that was given to individuals, and that was obviously a time period where people needed to be at home, and therefore that was the incentive. But um, you have these two problems where there's underemployment with and a need for essential workers, and you have individuals who are unemployed. How do you marry the two? You bring up a good point. We had training programs years ago. Before I became a state legislator, I worked at Massasoit Community College with the SITAP program, which stood for Construction Industries Training and Placement. And it was a federal and state-funded program to help women and minorities get training in the construction industries. In other community colleges involved, so we had 
uh, a higher placement rate than any other community college, and it worked, and we were under budget. And one of our former governors cut the program, and I've been trying to get something like that re-implemented. I've also talked to Marty Walsh, who was a colleague of mine when we served in the State House together, and now he's the mayor of Boston, because he was looking to do something. It was a perfect program. We helped them get into the pre-apprenticeship training, and I'll tell you a positive story from that. A woman who was a single mother, struggling, she ended up getting a job, and we also had phase two, which was your CDL training, which is a community, uh, commercial driver's license, and that's like a piece of gold in your hand. So here's a single mother, got off the welfare system, got a job, was able to buy a home for a family, and she's still working doing construction, building bridges on the highways with a big union company. And, and that was a perfect type of initiative that we need. And we have other programs out there, but you need more of that. And you hit the nail on the head with training and the job and the money for the training because this, this saves money for the Commonwealth in the long run because it helps get people working, paying taxes, staying into the system, and helps get them a job and helps build up their self-esteem. And, and, you know, it's a win-win across the board, and that's why we need new programs. And especially as we get away from fossil fuels, which I'm a big supporter of environmental issues and and I've worked with Sierra Group and the Environmental League of Massachusetts. We, this country as a whole has been working in the course of Carmel to get away from fossil fuels, to get more into clean, renewable energy, whether it be wind, solar, whatever. And we had done the first solar field in Brockton, turned a, a brownfield site into a bright field years ago. That produces energy for some city buildings. That's a perfect way to create jobs for people to get into the clean energy world and get away from these fossil fuels. And it's a win-win, and we're not depending on the fossil fuel industry. But, as you know, some of those fossil fuel companies have lobbyists fighting, and they, they, they lobby Washington to try to get away from that. And, again, I think sometimes when we move forward, whoever gets in that White House, they kind of go backwards with these things. And, again, we certainly don't want to hurt the local oil man who has to deliver oil or the gas companies that are doing a good job in that instance. But there's so many potential with jobs creation in this new industry and it's getting away from the fossil fuels and we've seen what's happened to our environment that's why you know fortunately i was able to get money in our state budget to clean up cryonic bacteria in silver lake and the lakes that in the ponds that feed silver lake because brockton and some of the surrounding towns get their drinking water from that and that's one thing in the commonwealth we work very well together republicans democrats working across party lines and we've got things done but like you and I, we have to balance our checkbooks. At the state level, we can't deficit spend, so we have to balance the budget, and we're still looking at trying to get more revenue into the state so we can deliver the dollars back to the cities and towns we represent. And, and I know hopefully our federal government, and I know our local delegation is doing a yeoman's work, but hopefully they get a, a stimulus package passed. This one that they passed was helpful, you know, the... the um, the CARES Act, that they got money into the cities and towns. I know also Plymouth County were able to apply and got $93 million. They are delivering those dollars to the cities and towns. They represent Brockton's the only city in Plymouth County, but the other towns, they, they've, and it's just for COVID-related items. So if it's for classrooms, for, for computers, for laptops, anything related to COVID, it can be used for, but you've got to get your applications in in a timely manner. But uh, I want to say that if anybody does need help, I'm going to give my office number. That's 617-722-1200, 722-1200. And my email is michael.brady at masenate.gov. And, you know, I've heard from many, many residents, and 
as I mentioned, the unemployment issue has been the toughest issue to help people out. And we are concerned because, you know, some people think, oh, they got that $600 bonus. They're making more money on unemployment than, than they were working. And that's certainly not the truth from your average employer and employee. I mean, most people are struggling daily getting ends meet as it stands. And this is just keeping them barely above water. And now we don't know what's happening with the second phase because that is put on hold. And we're looking to see what's going to happen moving forward because, again, a lot of people are, are struggling now. There was some people that complained to me, oh, they're, they're going to abuse it. And, and I, I do say that if anybody is collecting unemployment and they are working under the table, they can be held accountable. And one company, there was a glass company in Brockton, the owner was doing the right thing, covered the employees' medical insurance while they were out of work. They were getting unemployment, and they were working under the table. When he had worked for them and he called them back to work, they refused, and they admitted on, on the phone that they were making money under the table. So... They can get their unemployment stopped if they are abusing it, and that's the sad part. It was only, you know, two people out of thousands and thousands of people that we found doing this. Yeah, and those, and, are, and, it, and those are the ones, of course, that people talk about. But um, Yeah, and, and most people, as you and I know, and I, and I appreciate all the work BMZ does because I've known a lot of families that are struggling. You've helped them with daycare and helped them get educated and helped them with, you know, when, when young single mothers are struggling to take care of their babies and all that, and... I've seen firsthand the work that BAMSI has done over the years. Anything I can do to help BAMSI out moving forward, please let us know because you've helped so many struggling families out there and helped mothers get educated and helped them, you know, get prepared and, and help them get the resources that they need because, again, uh, you know, not everyone is making millions of dollars like some of the CFOs out there and the CEOs. Most families are struggling, and, and this has been one of the most difficult times. They're, they're comparing this to be potentially worse than the Great Depression in 1929. Yeah. And, you know, we did have an epidemic with the, you know, the Spanish flu back in the late 1900s, and this is probably worse than that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Sometimes we're a little bit up against time, but um, obviously we really need to engage in these conversations. There's so many great ideas that you shared with us, and uh, I really look forward to speaking more with you uh, as we move through this COVID crisis uh, towards stabilization. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Well, thank you, and I look forward to talking with you again, and you have my contact information. And also another thing we've got to get past is the Fair Share Amendment, because that will tax people making... Uh, over a million dollars. The first million does not get taxed at a higher rate, but it taxes them at a different rate of anything they make above and beyond, and that will help get revenue back into the communities too. So, Thank you so much. That is State Senator Michael Brady joining us here on the Humanity First podcast. Bamsey's look at what's taking place inside the organization and some of the key issues in the community and Commonwealth. I am Chris Ryan for Peter Evers.